Thanks for listening to Five O Talk Two. This is the introduction before the introduction. I wanted to introduce myself as John Beecham. I'm the host of the show. I neglected to do this during the actual recording of the interview we're about to hear. Um, I also wanted to let you know there's two songs in this episode by Cyclops Shaman. The first one is Battle of Cable Street, and the second one is called Stardust. So those are the ones you'll hear. You'll hear um, Battle of Cable Street at the very beginning and Stardust at the very end. And in the middle, you'll hear a good um, long interview with Krishna Edlin and his father, Marty Edlin, in the bands they play in. And without further ado, this is Cyclops Shaman with Battle of Cable Street. listening to Five O Talk Two, American Fantastics interview show, where we talk to artists of all kinds. Uh, today we have on a couple of musicians. Um, one of them, Andrew, uh, I've known for a few years now. Uh, we worked together there in the trenches of the telecommunications industry. And uh, Marty, his father, I met um, at one of Andrew's shows, uh, the band Cyclops Shaman, that we're going to be talking about too. Um, just a little bit about Five O Talk Two before we get into the actual interview. Um, we are an interview show mostly with Louisville artists. Um, this show, at least for the time being, isn't going to be like a regular bi-weekly release or anything like that. It's more um, when we're able to find some people to talk to and find the time, uh, we'll take advantage of it and then um, put them out as we get them. Um, best way to keep track of that is to uh, follow American Fantastic on Facebook. Uh, we'll post links there, and you can just download directly. There's a podcast, audio and podcast section uh, that you can download from. Um, and that way, if there's not an RSS feed up by the time we put those out, uh, that's how you would get them. Um, but yeah, our goal would be to get the RSS feed up there, too, so you can just follow on uh, Google Podcasts and iTunes. But enough about that. <laughs> um, today, uh, we're going to talk about rock and roll. So um, Cyclops Shaman is a heavy metal band. Here in Louisville, they're kind of, uh, I think, a little punk and grungy 
And then the other band, um, and I'm going to have to ask you guys their name. The first time I actually saw Andrew play live music was with his uh, father in an Alice Cooper cover band, which is really neat. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you guys talk. Um, well, first off, uh, how did you guys, um, like, start getting into music and especially, like, playing with each other um, or when you started performing and doing those things together? Gosh, I mean, I guess you gave me bass lessons when I was 14 or 13. That's kind of how it started. And then just kind of went through the years doing various little cover things here and there. And then finally I was like 19, I guess. Sure. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to do this Alice Cooper band, you know, because a friend of mine, Corey Elmore, you know, he, he always was really into Alice and, and really into Rob Zombie and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, he'd be a perfect dude to uh, get involved with that. And um, mm-hmm. I did that for a few years. So you started as a teenager with your father, kind of like <laughs> teaching uh, teaching you a little bit of things? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's neat that you, you started playing um, performances of covers, like the, the bands you're really into. I think like a lot of artists kind of um, go that route sometimes, like trying to copy their favorite artists, almost exactly, just to kind of like learn the form of what they're doing. Um, one of the ways I've done that as a writer is I wrote fan fiction, so G.I. Joe fan fiction. There's some genres that are really huge, but it's nice because it's kind of like, gives you the characters, gives you the plot, gives you, or gives you the characters in the setting, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of figure out the plot, and it feels like a little bit of, um, like that's, I know one of the one of the roles that like a cover band could be is as you're learning how to play instead of having to come up with the songs on your own, just getting that instrumentation down and getting that musicianship down. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about? So your friend Corey Elmer was the one in Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you uh, when you listen to Alice Cooper with him, was it kind of like did it feel like a rebellious thing, or did it feel more like oh this is just some good old rock and roll? <laughs> well, you know. We were always, you know, we went to high school together. He was a year mm-hmm. or two ahead of me. I can't remember now. Um, and we were always the kids who, you know, on jeans day, we would come in wearing, you know, black skinny jeans and, you know, a Slayer shirt or whatever, yeah. you know, metallic, you know, Megadeth, whatever it was, um, you know. And so we, you know, the kids with the long hair, the kids with the beard in the Catholic school, you know. And I love that you're the kid in the kindergarten oh, you know who sang sabbath bloody sabbath that's right of course <laughs> his, of course his teacher wasn't sure it was a song so she like had to have a meeting with his parents <laughs> like what is he chanting you know yeah i guess that's funny because that's in the days before google when you can't figure out right. exactly what all the references are right well marty it sounds like you were somewhat of a good bad influence on your son um <laughs> best influence the best bad influence exactly and i just wanted to know um what music were you into growing up? You're you're a little bit older than Andrew and I, so you have kind of a different timeline to work work with. But um, like, what are your earliest memories of music, and like, what are, what are the, what were the bands or the people that you really like growing up? Yeah, you know that's a uh, a really interesting question because I always liked a lot of different styles of music. I listened to a lot of AM radio just as a kid when I would eat breakfast before school, and so I just you know soak up a memory of all those old kind of songs and uh, so what like uh give us some artists or give us some genres so it's neat that you had music kind of on is like the soundtrack to your life like in the background and those good like memories associated with your childhood getting ready for school uh what were the songs or what were the artists that you were hearing uh those mornings 
Oh, man. Um, oh, raindrops keep falling on my head, and, uh, you know, the carpenters, and, you know, so, yeah, you know, sort of that you know, real interesting melodic, yeah, Chris Christofferson, and uh, when I was uh, real little, we would ride home from the river, you know, where I would go every Sunday, and uh, the station always played Riders on the Storm, the old door song, mm-hmm. and so in my mind, I'm just, I just can't get away from that image of just seeing the sun go down and be driving down river road you know when that song comes on because it was kind of hypnotic yeah that's really neat it, it kind of uh crystallizes in your mind is this long lasting memory um i love that feeling like there's certain because i kind of remember um eras in my life like almost as the music they were and the ones of my early childhood um i think the first hit song i was aware of was walk like an egyptian by the bangles and even at, yeah. even at that young age, it was so catchy, and I always got excited when I heard it. Um, I remember being creeped out by the Thriller music video when I was a kid. It was probably like my first exposure to anything like horror. And then um, the last thing I'll, I'll mention is that when I was a kid, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, which is my our hometown football team growing up, um, got into the Super Bowl, and that year, I think it was 88 so guns and roses were huge so kind of like the theme song to the bangles that year was welcome to the jungle um but yeah it's well one thing i'd like to figure out because you're talking about the carpenters and chris christopherson like and the and the doors do have a little bit more of an edge but like when you were you aware of like or was there any i mean i guess you just like the music either way but were you aware of like a corniness or like a wholesomeness from oh, some of that music yeah i was referring mainly to what my mother would play on the kitchen radio as I would eat breakfast before school before I was learn how to play instruments or anything yeah and um so yeah so I mean that wasn't necessarily the music that I listened to and enjoyed you know (laughs) it was just music when I was little kind of soaked into me and you know but uh yeah so you know um I don't remember teaching you how to play the bass as much as just you know playing certain songs on the guitar and showing you how I was doing it, well, and yeah. you just sort of naturally started following the bass. Well, that's that's actually, I mean, how it all started was, um, you know, I just wanted you to show me a few scales, and, you know, then I was watching these, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers videos from, like, the 90s of, you know, Flea and Chad Smith just, like, jamming together in this free form on, like, a lot of tracks off of, like, Blood Sugar Sex Magic because, again, while I play lead guitar and write the music out of, Cyclops Shaman, I started playing bass, you know, when I was 14, and I thought, you know, Flea was like a god in human form, you know what I mean? I thought he was just so cool. I thought he was just out of control. I mean, he taught me, you know, quote unquote, on YouTube, you know, how to how to pop and slap. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always say at my heart, I'm a bassist, because in a lot of ways, I play guitar like a bassist, very free form, um, that sort of Victor Wooten, you know, um, you know, Flea, you know, those guys that they built their career on being these organic players. Mm-hmm. And that's how I wanted to write guitar. I wanted it to feel very organic. And um, again, kind of like how I used to play bass back when I was, you know, playing in these cover bands, just kind of improving my heart, my little 16 year old heart out, <laughs> you know, because again, that's what I was hearing from these, these great bass legends was just, you know, be, don't be afraid to break outside of the box and be freeform. That's a neat, that's a neat way to describe it because yeah, usually when I think of the bass, it's the rhythm instrument. Um, so I thought it was 
neat when you said that you at heart you're a bass player because it's kind of like had a double meaning for me <laughs> like the heart of the band like along mm-hmm. with the drummer but it's neat uh yeah like those people that are um really good bass players and then they really have their own um spin on it and, and i remember being blown away by the red hot chili peppers when i was younger like oh, um yeah. under the bridge and yeah also just seeing footage of their live performances like They're all dancing around in underwear and like please uh gesticulations during um yes during his his crazy uh intense performances mm-hmm. so the other thing you were describing yeah, yeah <laughs> it is really good one thing you were describing about the bass was kind of being able to go like outside the lines a little bit mm-hmm. um to me that almost seems like like a jazz influence or like is there, is there a tradition of that in rock and roll too um well between you and i right yeah. well you know i i'll tell you you know I, i'll probably make some people throw up in their mouths but you know, I'm I'm not a, a classically trained musician. Um, yeah, geez, there he goes. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and so a lot of I just kind of picked up on the fly from you know again just kind of picking up on the, what they're saying. You know, these guys just like who are just making videos. Um, you know, again back in the '90s, and they're getting uploaded. You know, in 2000 on YouTube for us to go back and look at the archives of the masters, so to, so to speak. So. Um, you know, and I think that if you look at, I guess, the the history, I mean, I feel like rock and roll is more in, influenced by blues if you look at the direct, like, chronology, but... Um, yeah, if you look at the DNA and pick it apart. Right, right. But I do think that if you look at any of these really fantastic... Um, guitarists that have been really revolutionary, you know, like Hendrix, like Tony Iommi, um, like these dudes, you know, uh, you know, um, what's his name, John Petrucci, and, you know, the dude from um, Animals as Leaders, or, you know, whatever, those those guys that are just these insane virtuosos, these dudes learn everything, you know, and they're not just learning these goofy blues scales, they're learning jazz scales, they're learning everything, so of course, I think they're taking in these influences of, in these uh, genres like jazz, that is very free form, you know, talking about Miles Davis, who would just bring people in and jam for five hours and record it and cut it, cut, you know, the guys a paycheck, you know, that, that, that he liked or whatever, you know, uh, tell the other ones to get fucked, you know, I mean, um, am I allowed to say well, that? Well, think yeah. about, okay. think about how many hours we spent listening to Thelonious Monk together. Yeah, dude, he's insane. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And I think that, yeah, it's an American treasure. Music yeah. It is going to lend itself to a jazz-like treatment because mm-hmm. it, because it moves away from just you know the more predictable kind of chord. Exactly, and exactly, and so I mean, I think, yeah. So I think that yeah, that it has a lot akin to to jazz, even if formally or technically somebody may not listen to it and hear it. I think kind of in our spirit, a lot of what we're doing is that way, trying mm-hmm. to express a certain thought or feeling. Yeah. And I guess it's <laughs> you know it's sort of like evolution, I guess, in its own way. You know, um, you know, you might say you know you look at thrash metal and, and uh, you know, speed metal and, you know, you might think, well, oh yeah, those are all obviously blues influence, but then you finally kind of, you know, <laughs> the divergent evolution where you finally get into like prog metal mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, um, you know, I guess in the 90s too, with... Uh, like Linus and Superbad. Yeah, 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 and I guess, you know, um, Dream Theater too, um, thinking of specifically, and, you know, but then you've got like bands like Mastodon that really, I think, kind of came out with this you know, really, um, 
you know, those dudes just you hear their first album and you're like, this is this is prog metal. I mean, it's like the kind of stuff that that comes out and and you know you either go into cardiac arrest or your beard grows you know four inches because it's just like you know what I mean. It's just this incredibly just brutal and guttural sort of music. But the thing of it was that they that I think Mastodon was doing different that I think kind of put them in that same kind of big bucket that is prog metal I think you know with Iron Maiden or uh, you know Dream Theaters you know they're, they're, they're all they're like so King Crimson King Crimson yeah yeah, yeah I mean uh, and we've listened to a lot together too for listeners that are not um, as much metal <laughs> metalophiles sorry well that's okay because I kind of have an idea of what prog rock is like I think of bands like Primus which are it seemed like a little they just had like a strange sound to them and I can kind of see a connection with King Crimson there I've never thought of like the heavier metal kind of stuff like being considered as prog. Because if you told me if you'd mentioned Mastodon or Iron Maiden to me, like I mean, I know there are different bands, but there like I wouldn't be able to know like well, what makes them different from a band like Metallica or what makes them mm-hmm. different from like so what sure. like from your idea what makes prog mm-hmm. metal prog metal? You know, again, I'm gonna make some people probably lose their goddamn mind, but I think what makes a you know the thing about progressive metal. I mean, you think about the word progressive. I mean, it's these people who are pushing the boundaries. They're, you know, yeah, they're playing, you know, these heavy power chords. You know, some of these guys are playing in, you know, A and B, you know, these low D tunes, you know, these really aggressive to- uh, tones and these incredible virtuosos, you know, like, um, you know, I would consider Nevermore, um, you know, with Jeff Loomis to be uh, a prog metal band, you know, but apparently people have, have argued about their, you know, specific uh genre designation if you will but i think you know i think prog prog metal is such a big broad umbrella because again i think it's it's all about these people that are you know they're all metal you know they're all playing distorted guitar and singing about you know metal things you know violence and guns and magic and whatever the hell else in history um so it's all very metal but again they're they're pushing the boundaries you know they're playing these very atypical chords they're using you know clean guitar here and there you know they're they're you know using you know clean and dirty vocals you know it's it's um you know again they're pushing the boundaries of what a genre can be considered and i like to be a part of that so i guess then one way to define it would be not following the traditional styles of metal but Kind of like going out a little into the bleeding edge and adding something new or something like kind of revolutionary. Precisely. Okay. Well, um, thank you for that. I feel like I just got a little education. In <laughs> Again, I wouldn't call that gospel. I'm sure people <laughs> disagree and yeah. argue and to call me a heretic well, or a dumbass. I think part of it too is just art. Art can be so subjective, even how like we perceive it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to kind of, I kind of want to figure out too, like like the timelines of your life through music and kind of um so marty when did you start playing instruments was that like your decision or like what like uh how did you finally get your hands on something yep um i was very young when i first started playing the guitar and i think uh maybe third or fourth grade something like that and uh learned it at school it was a catholic school so i learned to play this song at church you know and it had two chords a g and an f I learned to play them with just one finger each. <laughs> Luckily, there were other people playing, I guess, the other notes or something. Cause oh, <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> my, and my older brother was a musician, and he okay. learned to play um, piano and guitar. Okay. And my younger sister, she also learned to play piano and a saxophone. Mm-hmm. 
on the guitar, you know, a couple other instruments, you know. And uh, so was that was that encouraged by your parents, or did you just all have that inclination and influence each other? Um, yeah, it was encouraged by my parents. They uh, they had a great uh, belief and value in art and expression and just education, exploration, things like that. Grandma played and piano, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, we always had a piano in the house, and so I could always sit there and play and figure out songs. And, and like I said, she always had the radio on all nonstop anyway, so I just always grew up listening to it. And at one time, they asked me what I wanted to play, right? Because they said, well, Tim's, you know, taking these guitar lessons, and Tracy has learned how to play this. What would you like to play? And I said, I don't know. How about drums? And they said, oh, that's really kind of loud, and you can't play that by yourself, you know. What else would My you like to play? Story. And I said, oh, well, how about trombone? And they said, oh, well, we really don't know anybody that teaches trombone or even where to get one. Can you think of anything else? And I said, well, how about bagpipes? <laughs> And they never asked me again. <laughs> so, so you went through One all. One day I will learn to play those things. Yeah, you went through a laundry list. That's really funny. Yeah, I, I actually saw a person with bagpipes performing recently in front of Kaylin's. Uh, which is like a little Irish cheeseburger. That's awesome. It's one of the places yeah. that claims to be the home of the cheeseburger. Of course. Um, but yeah, I guess there's some cool like Celtic roots in, in terms of like uh, the background of the people that ran it or began it. But there was this bagpipe player. He's this really old man, and I asked him. Um, he was wearing a firefighter's patch. So I asked him if he was a firefighter, and he said no. He he actually learned how to play the bagpipes with the Shriners, um, and he was playing like I don't know how to describe it other than that song that they always play like uh, at cop funerals, like in the wire and things like that. Oh, that old shit. bagpipe song. Yeah, and then he started. Yeah. He he played a. Uh, an original composition to one for about 30 seconds cool. and he wanted me to give him a grade like he's like on a scale of one to ten and you think of it as like that's a seven because i had no idea man they all just sound like bagpipe songs to me but <laughs> well that's funny like so you had that sense of humor uh growing up with music and then you had all your family and that's really i'm glad that you had that artistic upbringing i was kind of always pushed towards sports even though i felt like a little bit more creative and sensitive but um and that's kind of the house we're bringing up my daughter Guy in, and I wonder like she's either gonna embrace it or I wonder if she'll be more of a like into sports or into athletics just to I don't know, not exactly be a rebel but just mm -hmm. to be different from us. Yeah. Um, well, You'll never know. You never know. Yeah. So um, when did you actually were you into bands, uh, Marty, or like performing when you were younger? Um, yeah, you know, um, I had always liked to write songs make up songs and play the guitar and uh, and since I didn't really think of myself as a singer that meant I often had to find other people who would sing as I would you know, play <laughs> and um, so yeah so um, I was in a couple bands and we uh, you know we didn't at all you know make any waves you know in the outside world <laughs> but you know we surely you know came up with some good songs and made some interesting, you know, neutral, recordings and things. Neutral Substance, wasn't it? Wasn't the name of your um, band in college? That, that was one of them, yes. Neutral Substance. Yeah, yeah that was one of them. And, uh, neutral Substance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, uh, yeah, when I was in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, wow. That, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that was when we played there. And, uh, That's really cool. That's, yeah, I, it's neat to kind of um, imagine, like, going from a, a grade school kid learning to play guitar. It was a Catholic school, as you said? Yes. Yeah. And then um, 
And see, and also that I found yeah. this old book at the library. That yeah. Had, like these old charts, old blues songs from the 20s and 40s with all the little chord charts. Okay. And so I made liberal use of that to, <laughs> to figure out how to do things, you know. And, uh, so so what, what years were you active this way? Oh, that was probably, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, 81 or 82 was the neutral okay. substance thing. And then I was in a band with uh, Andrew's mother, Christian's mother, and uh, yeah, and that was called Bald Buddha. I was in that with my sister and a couple other yeah, friends as well. And, uh, uh-huh, and that lasted for several years through several incarnations. Yeah. You, so is Andrew's mom also your wife still, or was she ever? Oh, she was at that time. She was at that time, okay. And now she's your former spouse. That's your former spouse, <laughs> okay. Well, it's just neat um, hearing about couples that like are able to be creative together because my wife and I she's very creative too like she makes ceramics she did photography in high school she likes to knit a lot but uh, like we've collaborated on things like podcast interviews <laughs> but I can't imagine like um, I don't know it would be neat to have that feeling um, did you feel like that was something that like brought you guys closer together at least at that time yeah it most definitely did Yeah, it did. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's neat because um some people can't do it or some people like uh but it's like I think too having a bond with somebody that you make art with like any kind of bond like that, um is really neat and and also I feel like when you start performing art together even if you guys don't know each other very well to begin with like that's a really strong kind of connection to make. Yeah, I think that music that uh, that you and I shared as you were growing up, (laughs) I think that that really helped. Us relate to each other and get along with each other. Well, because it was sometimes something we could share in common when we couldn't really necessarily talk about anything else. I guess. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> put it in a weird way, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, the yeah. thing of it was, um, you know, the thing of it was, you know, my mom, you know, like like a lot like what you were saying, John. Uh, you know, she wanted me to be really normal. She wanted me. She didn't want me to like Black Sabbath. She wanted me to like the top forties and the Doors and the Grateful Dead and just, you know, shut up and you know go to go to college and get a nice you know you know accounting job or something you know and have 2.5 perfect kids or whatever yeah. you know there's nothing wrong with that i don't want anybody to think that i'm saying there isn't but um but you know it just it wasn't for me and i always felt that pull more towards you know the influences that my dad was putting out where he was you know an artist you know he was you know this this musician this kind of you know again uh don't stab me, but you know my dad. You know, looking back on it, was always kind of this. I don't want to say wild tomcat, but but sort of this. You know, you know the the kind of tomcat that knows exactly exactly the kind of trouble he's getting into. You know, and and I always kind of looked up to that when I was a kid, even not really knowing. You know what was, you know, um, you know it's like you know. <laughs> I think it's different for people that are artists because I think there is a certain kind of person that can be satisfied with that, like just getting into a groove, right. having a having a good job that they like, and um, you know, like being active with their family and friends, but not really like um, like I must think like the mentality of an of an artist is like you're kind of in love with that art and you mm-hmm. will be the, your whole life, and if there's not a part of you that's being a creative at least in some kind of way, like it's like there's this hurt there. But then when you are able, to, yeah, when you are be able, able to be creative, it's um, it's really wonderful. And it makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and like, 
one of the hardest parts I think about have, being an artist with a full-time job or and a lot of responsibilities is like you have to chisel out that time. You have to sometimes do it when you're too tired and you don't actually feel like it. But mm-hmm. uh, just doing it in and of itself like makes you feel proud and make and like you know lets that's that part of you flourish. Um, well, what was it like? Um, and I don't know if Andrew was your first child, Marty, but like what? How did um, having kids or having Andrew change like like your lifestyle in terms of like how it came to music and how it came to uh, I don't know. What what was it like becoming a dad when you're when you're kind of growing up making music with your friends? Yes. Well, I can look back and see two major changes ahead. One is that I started playing my acoustic guitar a whole lot more and playing my electric guitar a whole lot less. Yeah. Right. And because of that reason, I spent more and more time playing when the kids were asleep yeah. or doing their homework or quietly napping or something like that. And so, yeah, so that really changed the style of music that I played a whole lot. You know, I'd always played acoustic guitar, you know, different styles along with electric guitar. But I really went into that a whole, whole lot for a couple of years. That's really neat because it kind of reminds me of, um, like, being a parent can kind of, like, soften you up and make you have to be more gentle. So it's neat that the acoustic was a – it kind of paralleled that. Well, what um, – when you're talking about making acoustic music, did you like write lyrics to those, or did that change the style? Like, did that um, open new things up to you? Um, well, no, not necessarily. It was just that I had gone from expressing myself musically in one type of combination of people, you know, so you know, in this group setting, so many people, and I went back to just kind of stripping that away and and just doing that a lot more, and of course the kids introduced me to music that I had not really paid much attention to. My daughter became a big fan of, um, you know, uh, show music. Okay. You know, and you know, and I started listening to that because, you know, well, sure, she listened to it, so I'd give it a fair shot. You know, and so I learned a lot from that. And I know there was a lot of music that, um, that my son listened to, too. He would introduce me to different things he liked, and it would be things I would like, and, you know, some Sometimes I would introduce him to things I like and be stuff he would like. Well, Andrew, what are some of the things you turned your dad on to? <laughs> Scandinavian death metal. Okay. Yeah. That was uh, that was that was really it. And I mean, um, yeah, I don't I don't know when that happened. It was it was when I first started playing bass, and it was a, it was an ESP guitar or a, you know an ESP LTD bass that I had gotten. And I looked it up on the website. And I was like, "Holy fuck!" You know, what is, what is this? Like, it just opened my eyes because, like, the heaviest shit I'd listened to up until that point as a fourteen-year-old was like Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, and Iron Maiden. You know, I hadn't listened to any. You know, I didn't listen to any Slayer or any any American thrash metal. And so I just went jumped from you know this traditional metal right into again you know Scandinavian death metal like Children of Bodom and like Arch Enemy and these like bands that were on these websites because these were you know their guitarists they all played you know these ESP instruments and so I started checking these guys out and I was like holy fuck and it just it it, it blew my mind and it made me want um, I think that right there was when it planted the seeds of of me wanting to eventually learn guitar once I had mastered bass so. So you could express yourself in the way you heard these people making music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, because it's um, it's very much guitar music. You know, and don't get me wrong. They they um, 
you know, any any number number of those bands have some really great bassists, and I won't say that they don't, and they have some great bass riffs. Um, but let's be real, you know, it's like you've got these bands with these insane guitar virtuosos who, you know, get these, you know, you know, best you know best guitarist every you know every, you know every year award you know from some magazine or whatever. Um, you know, it their music lends itself to their talents, and their talents are fucking shredding. And it's you know I think it's fantastic. I love it. You know because you know when I was a kid. You know, I was listening to like Judas Priest and Black Sabbath, and they have these very epic guitar solos. But I was playing video games like Dynasty Warriors, which had guitar riffs based on stuff like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. You know, because it was you know it was a Japanese company, and Japan has always been very influenced by you know American metal or uh, you know Western, I guess Western metal. You know, especially um, you know, so so you know, yeah. I mean, I guess I was kind of like through video games I was sort of like accidentally discovering like speed metal and you know epic you know prog metal or whatever early on so that's what allowed me to ease into this sort of you know super epic uh, you know Scandinavian death metal yeah it seems like because I know you're also a big lover of the fantasy genre and, yeah. and you're big in, we were talking before the recording we were talking about before the recording began is it one of the reasons that Andrew only had four hours of sleep last night because he was up playing D and D, and then he was too wired to get to sleep on time. Uh-huh. Um, but I kind of, because I think that I don't know, and I don't know if all Scandinavian death metal is uh, necessarily influenced by Norse mythology. But I think that that's oh, it it's really neat that um, like that genre of metal, and I guess it goes back. I mean, like when you're talking about the court, uh, King Crimson, is mm-hmm. that it? And like the court of the Crimson King, like that's all like mythological and kind of like a fantasy story. But um, it seems like the perfect, it seems like a very perfect intersection between like fantasy and mythology as a genre and metal and guitar kind of music. So, mm-hmm. like for you, Andrew, um, like how did you get exposed to all those like fantasy stories growing up? Like were you reading paperbacks? Were you watching movies? Like how how did or just kind of explain like a little bit about your nerd background. <laughs> oh man, well I mean I guess I guess the the you know again harkening back to dad, you know, he was reading me, you know, Greek mythology, you know, reading me Norse mythology, you know, these translations from the 70s and whatnot and then he was reading me like Bram Stoker's Dracula when I was like 8 years old. You know, stories. yeah, it's bedtime yeah. stories. You know what I mean? So, did you uh, get? Did you get? Because Dra- I I've read Dracula. It's like all these letters. Um, dude, it written, freaked me out. But oh, I, you, I got it. You and got it. Freaked okay. me out. I thought Dracula was terrifying as a kid. I was like, <laughs> you know, it was a scare. I thought it was a scary fucking book. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. that's really because I was exposed to a lot of horror movies when I was yeah. a kid. So that was also like part of my introduction to fantasy or like sci-fi, like The Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, dude, the original Black and White Fly was yeah. like that freaky. I've, I've never seen the Jeff Goldblum version. I'm sure it's great, but the original black and white one was like messed me up. That's really cool. I one of the things that um I thought was remarkable about Dracula the book because in the movies it's always a stake through the heart. Yeah. Well, there's this character in in uh, the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker called Lucy, and she is the best friend of the of like the couple that are, have the central role. They're like yeah. fiance and, yeah. but uh, she's the, the the girl fiance's best friend, and she actually does get almost like basically turn into a vampire and in order to kill her not only is it the stake through the heart it's like cutting her head off and stuffing garlic garlic, and you're thinking about something that came out in the 1890s i can imagine that brutal yeah it's metal as fuck it is it is well so that's neat um because i 
my memories, my earliest memories of nerddom were, um, at least in that kind of fantasy setting, is uh, my stepdad had this collection of Lord of the Rings, and they had the coolest mm. covers and just made me want to read them. And I was probably a little, not too young because there's any like, graphic content in them, which is like very hard. But um, yeah. I remember reading The Hobbit and really slogging my way through it. And I never even finished it the first time when I was a kid, but that got me into uh, into that realm of fantasy mm-hmm. and, and falling in love with that. How did, so how did you first, um, sounds like you liked these bands. When you yeah. started writing lyrics, like how does mythology kind of like uh, um, influence your songwriting now? Well, gosh, I mean, as of yet, I haven't whole, written a whole lot of things. Um, written around mythology I've toyed with some lyrical ideas you know um, (laughs) you know a lot of the songs that we have right now you know recorded and and written and done the lyrics are a bit more overarching of my nerddom you know one of them is about you know mobile suit Gundam you know another (laughs) one's about this old you know video game from 2001 on the PlayStation 2 you know, I mean, it's it's all it's all super nerdy stuff. Um, I guess you could call it modern mythology, uh, if you will. But um, but no, I would say that that lyrically, I'm influenced by pretty much every nerdy thing, and I th- I think mythology is pretty fucking nerdy. You know, I say affectionately. Yeah, I love <laughs> well, it. you know, I think though that that just because it's fiction, mm-hmm. you know, because it's you know stories about you know Gundam suits or asteroids <laughs> yeah. exploding um, that, that doesn't mean that, yeah, that doesn't mean that it's like just escapism from real life because right. you actually discuss you know real things and real emotions that people experience in the guise of that thing like the yeah. Battle of Cable Street right is a pretty direct kind of historical yeah. reference yeah. to that song that's yeah I think that's really true that um like just because something is fantasy, it's not escape. It, one of the ways I learned about um, like mysticism and ideas of like this, like the force and like kind of like a, mm-hmm. almost more Eastern mm-hmm. like spiritual philosophies was through Star Wars. Yeah, because that's yeah. a one of the ways like they describe the force and like how everything mm-hmm. in the universe is connected and um, and how there's a balance between light and dark and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and Marty brought up Battle of Cable Street, and um, that's. One of the songs that blew me away when I went to see it live, <laughs> really? and and that's this. Well, it's neat. Part of it is because, yeah. um, like the subject matter. Because right now, um, there's a lot of political turmoil going on. Country's fucked. Yeah, and it and it feels like sometimes. I love to say that. Yeah, like like there's more. Um, <laughs> well, just just. I guess just this pent up rage against what you would just call, you know, the system uh, or like the machine as yeah. in, you know, that one's kind of already been taken rage against the machine. But, mm-hmm. but like, uh, the battle of cable street seems like it's about some sort of, um, like street battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but like also like against these fascists or against these people. Yeah. So can you explain like, um, what the battle of cable street was and then like, h- what, how did that lead to you writing this song about it? Well, it actually started with my girlfriend, who, um, gosh, how, how political do we want to get, John? Oh, okay. <laughs> how about this? We can totally talk politics. I uh, say as long as we can stay away from, like, threatening or, like, uh, hoping sure. people die kind sure. of things. No, 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 we can at like least that. get into, like, because um, that's, I mean, that song is political. There's uh, no way to avoid sure. it. Absolutely. And so don't worry about, um, like, offending people sure. with, okay. with anything like philosophy. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I just don't want to, you know. 
cross your boundaries. But yeah. basically, so my needless to say, my girlfriend and I were pretty bummed after the uh, current president got elected, and um, you know, so a lot of fra- fascist rhetoric and this, you know, neo Nazis coming out in force and whatnot, and you know, all these racist assholes in the streets. Um, my girlfriend discovered. I, I'm not sure how she did it, or, or you know, maybe she was on her. Facebook feed or who knows what, but she turned it on to me that, you know, oh yeah, in 1933 there was this like fascist rally or whatever, you know, these you know, uh, pro-fascist movement uh, was, you know, marching in London and like all these like just kind of a hodgepodge of people came out in counter-protest, you know, it's like anarchists and like Jews and factory workers and just like, you know, you know, I'm sure, again, I'm sure some historians are probably throwing up in their mouths right now, but you know, you'll have to look up, you know, I, I want to encourage people to look up the real history behind it because it's a really fantastic story about just, you know, these... these. It was a broad base of the people living yeah, in your rights. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, these, you know, it's, 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 it was yeah. a story of these dickheads, you know, coming in with their fascist ideals, you know, marching in the street, and, a, and just a bunch of people who ordinarily would have no business around each other being, you know, you know, you had women throwing, you know, rubbish and shit and whatever else out the window at the fascist. You had the men on the streets with, you know, table legs and baseball bats and whatever the hell else, you know, just, you know, just giving no quarter to these guys because they said no. You know, they said, we're not going to give you an inch, you fascist bastards, not in our fucking town. And I think that right now, you right, know, because there's... Because they had come from other parts of town and other cities. Yeah. Yeah. And they were marching directly through, you know, that neighborhood that had been, you know, yeah. so ethnically identified, yeah. Yeah. you know. So it wasn't just, yeah, so I mean, it, it literally was outsiders, if you will, bringing this hateful message mm-hmm. right into the people's neighborhoods yeah. that they were yeah. espousing hatred against. Yeah, and they said, and they, yeah, again, and they the said, the people, the people living town. there said no. Yeah. Said no, you're yeah. not doing it. Get and out. I think, and the, the <clears throat> authorities even mm-hmm. sent the police. Right, almost to be on yeah. the side of the, the fascists, the, the rioters, were pr- and the, the and police the were protecting the fascists, and the, and the people chased the police. Yeah, as well said, no, as the fuck you too, like, police. That's right. Yeah, you know, and I think it's a really inspirational story because I think that um, you know, in this day and age, you know, you've got the you know some people who are trying to defend. You know, they're calling it racially charged. They're calling them you know alt right. No, they're Nazis. They're racist. There's no black and white you know thing here. There's you know, lines have been drawn, and I think that this is a point, you know, a critical mass here, you know, in Europe, that's how the Nazis won, that's how the fascists won, because when they marched in, people said, uh, okay, or they were, you know, at gunpoint, I'm sure, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, once the militarization, you know, blitzkrieg and all that, so on and so forth, but anyway, um, but I, but again, it's, a, I think it's an inspirational story that I think more people in America need to listen to, know about. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you wrote that song because I mean, there's such a good tradition of protest music, and um, I'm one of those people where, I mean, I, if if I felt my life threatened or you know people I love threatened in my neighborhood, I would mm-hmm. I would have to pick up arms or like if there was like a really huge protest in Louisville, I'm sure I would be be at him and be in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's neat that you because I I I'm more of like a I try to do that through my art and my writing, mm-hmm. and I'm not always. 100% direct, but when you think about like the implications or uh, like who the, the kinds of people that the villains are sometimes or the kinds of things that I find heroic and those kind of uh, those stories of struggle and like that are, um, I think there's a way that you can you can 
bring that out in your art. And it's neat you did it so explicitly because it's the kind of story <laughs> that could be a movie or it could be like an HBO miniseries. <laughs> yeah, but instead, yeah, it became this really cool heavy metal song. And I yeah. think that's a neat, um, a neat way to learn about those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Well, and I think, you know, again, I take a lot of cues from Iron Maiden uh, lyrically, just inspirationally, just like our Lord and Savior, Bruce Dickinson, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they have a lot of uh, hi- historically charged lyrics, and they sing a lot about, um, you know, they have numerous songs about historical events. And, um, you know, again, my girlfriend and I were talking about it, and we were like, oh, man, Iron Maiden should write a song about this. And she looked at me, and she goes, you should write a song about this. And I was like, well, fuck it, I will, you know, and I did. You know, because, again, I I think it's a great story. So Yeah, I think that's a really profound moment when um, you decide to make the kind of art that you want to exist in. Exactly. Toni Morrison has one of the best quotes about writing I've ever heard. She said, "Um, if there is a book you want to read but it hasn't been written you must be the one to write it mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, and I mean, well that, that's that's exactly you know um, you know that's exactly where my mind's at you know it's like yeah there are plenty of people you know in the metal scene singing about all kinds of cool stuff that I like you know Vikings and and you know history Alexander the Great and you know and mythology and dragons and all that kind of cool shit and whatever else but but nobody's singing about you know these obscure video games that mm-hmm. nobody's fucking played, you know, in, in 15 years or whatever. Um, you know, no one's singing about, you know, at least that that I've discovered. But it's like I wanted to hear a particular song about a particular story in this, you know, oh, Mobile Suit Gundam, you know, whatever. Yeah. So so I wrote it, you know, exactly. I wanted I wanted to read the book, and so I wrote it myself, so to speak. And, um, and that's just kind of my... Mantra, if you will, going forward. I think that like um, the witching hour. Oh yeah, is like an archetype of like a person who is tempted by the, well, yeah. the shadow and exactly. how and how that begins t- to consume them, even though it seems more mm-hmm. and more distant to them. At the same time, it comes taking over and consumes well, them. Right. I mean, that's that's the the um, you know the thing I like about witching hour is that it's actually about in the you know in this video game. Um, one of the characters, you know, he's this prince, and which, uh, which specific game? Oh, it's it's called Dark Cloud. Okay. Um, is this a PS, PlayStation Two, PlayStation Two, yeah, yeah. It's a great game, and, and you know the character, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he's this prince, you know, he gets you know invading force, and he's you know gets approached by the shadowy character. He's like, well, I can give you what you need, you know. And he's like, all right, well, I'll do anything to save my country, to save my you know my girlfriend back home, whatever, I'll do it. And so he. He falls, take you know, takes this black demon blood into him, and he gains this you know superior magic power, and single-handedly wipes out the uh, the invading force, you know, and you know violet light, you know, from his hand, you know, and and um, but then he, you know, there's like this assassination attempt, and his girlfriend dies, and then this rage wells up in him, and he turns into this you know dark monstrosity from you know the blood in his veins, you know, this dark power flowing through him. Um, it's just you know it's very archetypal, um, you yeah, know. Even but the it, language it's, it's, of like the chorus, yeah. behold, you know. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's like very it's, it's kind of mythology, well, I mean, if you will. Dude, I mean you know people you know Google it just like Google Google dark genie you know, dark cloud. It's yeah, just like the know. character is this like you know in his final form is this giant you know almost like deific bat monster you know what I mean it's, Wait, it's crazy okay so the prince in this game <laughs> is it the villain or is it the like he's, the player he's like the, the tragedy he's the tragic 
uh, character. He's a so, tragic so plot foil. No, he kind of shows up here and there to like help you or hinder you because he's like, you know, yeah, he's a side character. But he's kind of the reason why you're on this journey in the first place because it's his fault. The yeah. you know the big bad boss you know monster destroyed the world and now you got to fix it. So. so what? So we got <laughs> that background from uh, Dark. How so? How does that turn into the witching hour? Like, what is is the witching hour part of like? Just describing part of this character's story. Yeah, it's just it's specifically about the prince because I think he's a cool character. You know, I saw, you know, I mean, it's like it just uh, you know when you get an idea and you grab a guitar and you just start playing and toying with it. It's a very simple story and it's a very simple archetypal uh, again story. But um, I, I don't know. It's it, it it was just kind of very organic. All of my songwriting is always very organic, and I just kind of pick up a guitar and I have an idea in my head. And I just like, did you know it was going to be about that well, character, or did you <laughs> just know it was going to be kind of about the situation, well, and then the character just came to as you started making it up? Because I find that's <laughs> one of the best things about artists, how the yeah. unconscious kind of, you know, especially if you give it free reign, will bring sure. up something that has those multiple meanings. Right, and I guess that's you know, more, more, than I, more than I could articulate um, <laughs> there. But, uh, oh, well. No, no, I mean, that's, that, that, that's a good point, though. I mean, I think that... Um, well, it's everything kind of welling up in your subconscious, like because mm-hmm. I've, um, I've been in so much influence, like even by video games. Yeah. Um, I have this story called The Adventures of Baxter and Roebuck, and it's kind of a little bit based on the Borderlands, which is this post-apocalyptic video game, but yeah. it wasn't it had a sense of humor about it. Yeah. It wasn't like the dark, depressing kind of apocalypse, uh-huh. and that's kind of what I tried to do with this story too. Just like write some Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a character that's a ro- the gunslinger character that's a robot. Yeah. If anybody wants to read it, you can read it for free on American <laughs> Fantastic. It's in the sci-fi section, but um, but I think that like Check yeah things yeah thank yeah. you things can't help but percolate mm-hmm. um, that you're that you're consuming the, yeah. and like when you when you can let yourself um, that directly influence what you're making, but then you're also putting your own twist on it. Like you're taking this anime JRPG and turning it into mm-hmm. a a metal song. Um, exactly. So, Marty... Um, what kind of insanity is that? Well, yeah. when you're talking about, like, when you were making money with Neutral Substance, like, what were most of your songs about? Or, like, what... Like, um, did you write any of them? Or were you just playing an instrument with the band? I was mainly uh, playing an instrument. And um, it was a uh, college band okay. with, you know, my fellow uh, students, you know, colleagues. And, um, yeah, we wrote a couple songs that were... I don't know. They were kind of not really humorous, but they certainly had a sardonic edge. One was about um, getting up and um, going out into the fields after the rain and finding, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, <laughs> and, and taking those and about the forces of society that were, you know, like seeing as bad and evil and trying to hold us back. <laughs> and um, and then there was another one that was um, based on. Uh, Somebody's roommate, he was from Mississippi, and his favorite thing to say was, oh, shit. <laughs> so we made the song that was about, yeah, about the sad life, you know, of this guy that the chorus always involved, oh, shit. <laughs> so it's, it was pretty goofy, pretty kind of, but it was fun and pretty fun. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds neat. It almost sounds like um, a blend between humor and music, and you don't, I think that's a really challenging thing to do that people don't, uh, I don't know, it, it because it's it's neat the way you guys were doing it too. Because you weren't writing like parody music or like overtly humorous music, but it had that kind of like wry humor, like um, almost like Paul Simon a little bit. It sounds like or what's that guy? The guy that did Toy Story? Oh, 
the Toy Story music? Oh, yeah. Um, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. He has that same kind of uh, dark well, yeah, edge of humor. Well, see, and it wasn't intentional. We weren't trying to be funny or anything like that. We were just lunatics, <laughs> you know, with, with far out, you know, extreme takes on everything around us, Jeez. you know. And so it just ended up coming out that way. Um, yeah. Well, I do want to. Yeah, we were trying to be serious, you know. Yeah. Oh. Well, I want to get into to um, some of your more recent things. It's, it's neat, we got like a little bit of um, like all that background of how how you became musicians mm -hmm. and how, um, like what influences you. I, I wanna talk a little bit about your current project. So how did you and your dad form an Alice Cooper cover band and, and remind me what it's called? Um, it's called uh, Sick Little Things. They're still active, so you know, shout out to them. Um, yeah, again, you know, I was about 19. I hadn't been in a band since I was 16. You know, um, and I was feeling pretty down about it. I was like, "Fuck, I really want to get into a band." I'll, you know, and I was in a, I was on a really big Alice Cooper kick. I mean, I was listening to like "Welcome to My Nightmare" on repeat in the car. I thought it was like I was, I don't know why. I was, you know, how it is. And um, you know, I shoot shot a, you know, my friend Corey and he uh, a text. And I said, "Man, I want to, I want to do this Alice Cooper project." You know, what do you think? And he said, "Oh, fuck yeah, man!" You know, I've been waiting for this text. You know, and so I was like, "All right, Dad, I need a guitarist." You know, we need. Okay, you know, I mean, because again, my dad has so much experience, and again, he's the one who introduced me to Alice Cooper. You know, that was another thing I was listening to a lot of as a kid. You know, again, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper. You know, that's that's what I grew up listening to, and so, um, and it just it just felt very natural that 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 would be the first band that I formed, you know, so to speak, and um, you know, and I. I knew a guy who played drums, and, and I knew a guy who played guitar, and, you know, people came and went, and eventually I decided to leave um, after about three years, um, just because, you know, um, it just felt like we were grinding our wheels, uh, we weren't really playing shows, and I got an offer from a band to come and play bass with them, and I said, I said, well, we've got this um, you know, contract or whatever with this local um, producer and you know we've got you know this EP we've got these recordings on the way man we just need a basis I said okay well I'll drop what I'm doing and so I told the Alice guys well look you know it's been great but we're not doing anything mm -hmm. you know we've played 12 shows in three years I'm out and, um, and so I quit and I went and played bass with that band for a while so um, that's that's neat that that kind of was like your first band, but then it's almost like you have to eventually move on mm -hmm. from it when bigger and better things come yeah, up. But I mean, it's it also what gives you like your uh, like your like the uh, wheel to grind your sword against mm -hmm. and sharpen it. Yeah, and I mean, I had been in a few other bands in high school. You know, I was in one band with like my two best friends. You know, it's like you know the, the three th three musketeers. You know, everybody's got. You know what I mean? Um, and so we were just goofing off you know one you know one guy had a drum set that he got from christmas that he barely knew how to play and one dude was learning guitar mm -hmm. and well man you gotta play bass and i wanted to play guitar but no man i'm already playing guitar so i said all right screw it i'll play bass and and so i just you know suck my head right into it but um you know and then i got bounced around a lot playing in different bands playing because everybody's always looking for a bassist everybody always needs a bassist and then um and then like i said i was about 17 and i hadn't you know hadn't been playing in any little projects at all nothing it's like 19 whatever um you know yeah i just had to break the the dry spell of just 
you know, because it is an addiction. It is it is a necessity. When you again, as you said, you know, when you're an artistic person, I think I think a part of you is dying when it's not being fed. I think it is starving inside of you when you are not having that uh, constant, not a constant, but regular outlet uh, to maintain it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good way to put it. Um, it. It makes you feel like your soul is being fed, and and I also think it kind of. Um, yeah, it helps you flex some mental and emotional muscles um, to be able to do that. I also wanted to say, I went to one, um, is said Pretty Little Things? Sick Little Sick Things. things. Sick, Sick Little Things, things. Um, show at the Meg Bar, which is um, the best, I would, and there might be more than these, but uh, it's probably the most well-known dive bar that has a performance space in it in Louisville. And um when I saw uh, Sick Little Things, they had this, int- it was very theatrical. So people were wearing makeup. Uh, of course, that's what Alice, one of the things Alice Cooper's known for. There was also a, a guillotine there. And I don't think I stayed long enough to see it actually work, but um, it was really neat to see that, like that theatrical performance spectacle of it. Cause don't just picture, you know, four guys playing Alice Cooper songs. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, was a whole, it was a whole, um, yeah enterprise yeah, so they're, and they're still going in fact um i just played a show with them you know their bassist was out of town or whatever and um they asked me to come back and you know i was like i can't say no you know it's like you know i was it's like that's that's what i wanted i only left because we weren't playing shows but if you want me to come back for a show fuck yeah and it was great to kind of you know get back on the old you know the old horse so to speak and you know and that kind of energy and and, and it was just this high energy show you know, again, because I was playing with these guys again. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of these cover bands, you know, I don't want to shit on anybody. I'm not going to name names, of course. But, you know, it's like they're really, really talented dudes. But I think if you're going to put on a really great show, like an Alice Cooper show, I mean, you need a younger guy who's got that energy, who's got that gumption, who's going to be able to just jump around and fall off the stage and do backflips and, you know, be a total lunatic. Um, and, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, older guys can't do that. But, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like it seems like if you're so, gonna be in a cover band, you gotta bring something um, special to it. Yeah, exactly. So having just a blip on the radar. Yeah, so having that cool like live theatrical um, oh, focus, yeah. and then also like just this this craft, like the skill craft. Um, well, Marty, yeah, so before that's what yeah, really be- trying to do with the sick little things is to yeah not just recreate the show, but also recreate the music. You know, not just the our versions of the songs but as you know as accurately the the feeling it was because a lot of that music was recorded in studios and it was mixed in certain ways you know with overdubs and so yeah so it's a really uh, great discipline to try to uh, break that down and come up with an arrangement or certain parts that will kind of you know convey that same feeling you know I do miss being in it yeah it's yeah, it's it sounds like a really neat experience to have, especially when you're a fan of that kind of music. And um, there's still cool cover bands around. There's one out of Chicago called The Doors of Chicago that yeah. play like they came to Louisville, and I didn't I didn't actually see them, but it's neat to see uh, people. It's like keeping those traditions alive, and to me, sometimes it feels like a like you're giving them this great honor because, of course, like you're only going to be covered by a cover band if you're legendary. <laughs> Um, and that was the first band that Andrew and I played in together was that when I was playing with a, a blues and classic rock uh, group called uh, Redstone and yeah and I think I was working you know and he called me up there at the art center and 
were talking. I don't know a couple songs off of Welcome to My Nightmare, you know, some yeah. more yeah. more morbid and kind of psyched out. Oh, like, dude, ones well, about, like, you know, being yeah. dead with, you know, being buried or something. Or well, and I think left that... Left to rot uh, in the elements or something. I think that, you know, Alice Cooper is one of those, like, secret metal, you know, secret metal gurus in a lot of ways. Because you listen to a lot of his lyrics, and, I mean, it's fucking heavy. You know what I mean? It's like stuff that Slayer was regurgitating, you know, 15 years later. You know, not to show on Slayer. I love Slayer. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's like people just kind of underestimate Alice because he's kind of goofy. You know, in the 80s, he kind of had that weird whimsical phase when he was, like, off cocaine or whatever. I'm not advocating cocaine, but, you know. Um, uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, and, and, and so as a kid... It, again, it, it, it was already there, you know, listening to Sabbath, Priest, um, Cooper. Again, when I found this, you know, European death metal, it, it was just like, well, they're singing about the shit that I love and already know. So I do want to ask, because um, you're talking about, like, you, you played with this band that had already been uh, formed um, and helped them out as a basis. How did... Psychop Shaman become formed because I think that's when you started actually writing the music and writing the lyrics and everything. Yeah, it's a long story. Well, um, I know there's a little bit. We don't have to get too deep into okay, the weeds because okay. I remember there was a, a backstory of like the band kind of got um, evolved mm-hmm. or it kind of moved on. But like, yeah, I mean, I in guess its the, uh, in its current incarnation, yeah. Um, how, like, how did? I guess how like how did that kind of happen for you when you took on a more leadership role and like what was that? Like what kind of direction and like what, what was the Andrewness that you uh, pumped into injected oh, into that gosh. band after you kind of took on took things on? Well, basically, what ended up happening is I was just sort of the passenger, um, playing bass, and the two guitarists of that band were writing all the material, and one guitarist was like, "Oh, I can't do it anymore. Bye." And then so I took a more front seat row and started writing, you know, two or three songs on guitar, and then I just showed the other guitarist. And I got back on the bass. Um, and then eventually he was all like, oh, no, I can't do it either. And then the drummer was all like, oh, I can't do it either. And they both fucked off into the woods or whatever. And um, so I was like, well, shit. And so um, I was like, well, hey, Dad, do you want to join the band? You know, and so, you know, as guitarist, and I was like, well, fuck it, I'll play guitar. You know, it'll, you know and, and you know, I'll just write all the music because this was all their material. And of course, I wasn't going to take their material. So I was like, well, now I need to write all this music down and, you know, rewrite all this music, um, you know, new material. And, um, and just kind of, and just kind of, were you? I don't remember that. Oh, fuck, man. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and he knew a drummer and who, you know, who's our drummer now, Jeremy. You know, he's, he's a bad motherfucker. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, and he's, he's, you know, a super, super vital member of the team. And it's just, you know, kind of, um, but then the three of us kind of, you know, I write most of the music now and kind of show the skeleton of a song to the guys. And they say, well, well, you know, maybe I had this thing here or, or, hey, what do you think about this thing here? And I'm, you know, I tell them, you know, well, man, just play whatever sounds good. You know, this is what I'm going to play. You play what you think sounds good. You know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, or Jeremy will say, well, hey, man, I think this would sound good. Can you play that? And I'll say, yeah, man, let me try it. And, yeah, that's really neat um, that it's not just one person directing the entire um, evolution of everything. It's, it's, it's people working together and collaborating in this organic way. Yeah. Um, that's really neat. I, when you mentioned Jeremy, your drummer, the, the show of Cyclops Shaman, I got to see, yeah. um, there was this really neat moment where 
the lights that were on Jeremy were syncing up to uh-huh. the notes he was playing. Like, um, yeah. who who figured out how to do that? Like, whose whose idea was that? Oh, geez, that is um, that is a, a local guy. His name is uh, uh Louis the Pirate. It's a, that's this like street name. Everybody knows him as Louis the Pirate. He's he's a super super cool dude, and um, he just you know he kind of goes around and just sets up these shows. Um, and and uh, and that's that was him. That was him. He's got this like crazy light rig, and he was like basically playing that light rig in sync. You know, um, he's got it at his fingertips and everything. It's it's really wild. Um, you know, so, so that's it's his not setup, yeah. it's not necessarily it's not us. Pre- well, it's not pre like pre done. It's somebody live yeah. doing it. Yeah, that's... and again, it's it's not us, so we can't we can't take the credit for that. But yeah, it's. It's super cool, but yeah, Louis, Louis does that kind of stuff. At all oh, Louis, he was that redheaded guy who was, right? No, he's got blonde hair. Blonde hair. Yeah. But was he the guy? I don't he know. Got, he got, you know, like a goatee. Was he like, okay, this is somebody um, different than I was thinking. Necklaces on. This isn't the guy that was like the hype man that night, right? The guy that was like kind of, he, there was well, not yeah, a hype man. He was the hype man. Yeah, he was like talking. And yeah, okay, okay. But he's, you said he's kind of legendary in the scene, he's, right? He's a little bit, I mean, you know, again, he's, he's a lo- local figure, you know I mean? Um, but you know most people who are musicians in Louisville, you know, if you mention Louis the Pirate, they'll probably know who you're thinking you're talking about. That, that's really funny because um, I didn't realize like I thought his talent was bringing together people and like kind of um, getting people fired up and like having a good time. I didn't realize he was adding like to yeah. the light show Absolutely. as it was going on because that's that's a completely different kind of talent. And um. Uh-huh. Just the impression I got from Louis was he was almost like a morning like shock jock, but in real life, and <laughs> oh, he was what? well like a like a Howard Stern kind of character, oh, like those God, people. Yeah. God, yeah. But but it's funny because he's like, yeah, and he's like definitely. <laughs> tell him he said that. Yeah, like he's definitely saying things that you would think like, well, how nobody can get away with this anymore. It's 2019, but uh-huh. it's not like hateful, horrible things. Sure, it's just sure, like sure, definitely yeah. pushing the envelopes of, of uh, what's right. respectable now. But yeah. so is that, um, like, is that something that you have to figure out when you're in a band, like how to get booked places and how to get like good relationships with these kinds of people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pain in the ass. Cause I mean, you're starting from zero and you don't really know who to talk to. I mean, um, you know, I hope I'm gonna try to get him to listen to this because I'm like gushing about the guy. I mean, <laughs> Louis has really been a big help to us. He's gotten us a couple of pretty good shows. You know, playing in front of 30, 30, 40, 50 people. You know, pretty decent shows for for you know guys that are just starting to get off the ground. And um, you know, that's kind of his passion is kind of being this guy who kind of helps these local bands get this fresh experience and these new bands. You know, from in and around uh, you know Kentucky and Louisville. Um, you know, so it's. I don't remember exactly who. I think Dad, you knew him, or somehow the. Con- I don't know exactly how the connection fell into our lap, but uh, he, you know, somehow you know, yeah, I somebody knew somebody. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. So so yeah. So there it is. Back to the Alice Cooper van. We knew him from from that. That's right. So and so yeah. So he needed somebody for a show. Hard to, to uh, deal with yeah. putting on shows and all that because yeah. you don't really know. What anybody else is doing, or right. or yeah. what the good deal is, or a bad deal it's, is. It's kind of wild, wild west almost. In a little bit of a way. Yeah, it seems it seems like that would kind of be a uh, rough and tumble sort of like mm-hmm. stringing together performances at a bunch of local bars and. Yeah, I mean I've heard that. Um, I listen to WTF with Mark Marin a lot, and that's one of the things they 
they talk about a lot is the bad um, managers at certain clubs because mm-hmm. they'll book you and not pay you, or they'll want to pay you in drinks and things like oh, that. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, we've been we've been so booking, you know, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Half an hour into the show, oh yeah, yeah. I gotta finish up and get out. Yeah, of here. yeah, yeah. The DJ show. Oh, up what the stupid. the what? You know, yeah, and you're like, excuse, you know, and there's not enough even room for the drummer on the stage because the DJ box, whatever. <laughs> no, um. No, Louis, Louis's been really fair with us and is, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, we're not like, you know, paying the bills, but, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, gas for a week and a half, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, the shows that he's gotten us. So, I mean, it's, it's, again, you know, we've been lucky. We kind of, you know, again, oh, I know a guy. And that's kind of, I think, how it all kind of happens is, you know, oh, my brother knows a guy and he knows a dude, you know, that kind of, that weird spoken word of mouth thing that, that somehow has endured even in the age of, you know, hyper technologically connected. Facebook, you know, yeah, whatever. I think now in a certain uh, sectors that's kind of been like co-opted in this idea called networking, <laughs> where it's like you're actively yeah. trying to like, I don't know, work, like you'll have events where people are doing mm-hmm. mixers, but yeah. I think the way you're talking about it seems a little bit more natural because this is like, yeah. you get involved well, in these scenes, you eventually get to know people that are interested mm-hmm. in the same kind of thing as you, and then you're able to like all benefit on each other's yeah. different experiences. And the thing of the really a really jarring thing and again you know um i'm sure some people are going to get pissed about me saying this but i really do think that um the american music industry is uh i'm sure uh, i don't know how anyone could argue against this but but the the american music industry is geared towards pop you know it's geared towards shit they can put on the radio you know this you know country rock pop shit that's about as heavy as it gets so the reality of it is is for the last you know, fucking 40 years, um, uh, metal in America has always been an underground sort of genre. It's never had this big hype, um, you know, these, you know, it's like in Europe and these, play, you know, Japan, it's like these these metal bands are gods, you know what I mean? They, you know, they're crazy, they're celebrities. You know, but in America, I mean, you know, it really is kind of like the, the trenches uh, for metal, even still. I mean, there's some bands, you know, like Metallica or whatever, that they, you know, these huge dudes, you know, but even still, um, you know, I can't, I can't say to one person, you know, you know, four states over, oh man, check, you know, have you ever heard of a Monomarth? You know, they go, no. You know, because people, people in America, they don't, they don't turn on to metal in most cases. They don't really get into metal. Um, you know, so imagine how hard, like, Amon Amarth's huge, huge in the metal scene, you know, especially in Europe, you know, there's huge, you know, this hugely successful band, you know, all hail, you know, <laughs> and again, I was like, somebody I was talking to from Maryland, and, you know, I sent them some Amon Amarth song, and they were like, I've never heard this band before, and I'm like, what? You know, and it's just, it, it's just, it's just weird to me, I guess, as a metal musician. Yeah, I mean, it seems like different genres are more heavily emphasized in certain cultures than others, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of one of those things that what you what you really like to make and create it's sort of independent of you know what's in the like what's in the air because i'm sure there are people that want to um just make pop songs and that really gives them a lot of uh, happiness i think one thing that's good about metal is you don't have um like a music executive kind of like twisting your arm to make this kind of music or that kind of music um well before we start to wrap up here i wanted to kind of um figure out like what's on the horizons for the both of you? Like what, what are you uh, excited about coming up? Uh, about what you're making, you're doing. Well, you know, we've got um, a couple of songs that we don't have recorded that we've only been able to play live. So, you know, uh, John, you've got exclusive knowledge. <laughs> 
you know. Um, you know, so we want to get those, you know, songs recorded. We've got uh, three or four songs that we're working on. Um, right now, we don't have a bassist, so if anybody knows a bassist, you know, send them our way. So we are definitely looking for a bassist right now. That's that's the big one. And this is all about, this is all Cyclops Shaman, right? Mm-hmm. Cyclops Shaman. Yeah, again, I am no longer with the Alice Cooper band, so I can't really speak for them. Yeah, my focus is exclusively Cyclops Shaman, uh, musically anyway. And, um, you know, and it's just pushing forward, you know, to quote Jeremy, you know, he, he, he was very implicit that I say this, uh, the best is yet to come, you know, it's cheesy, but he's right. We are only getting better. We're getting heavier. We're getting more creative. We're learning. Um, and you know, we're growing together as people and as, you know, as, as the dis- dysfunctional family that a band is. So. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad that you feel that that growth is still coming. Cause I mm-hmm. think that's, especially people that have been practicing art for a long time is like you, th- I feel like I'm only getting better the more I do it. Um, and it's good that, you know, I, I, I like it. It's like a, it's kind of like the opposite of a vicious cycle. Like mm-hmm. it's a, like it's a good vicious cycle yeah. because the more you like to create, um, the more you're going to improve and the more you improve, it's like, you, you, like yeah, because mm-hmm. you can feel like you can express yourself exactly. better. Exactly. It's, it's like, a vi- I think it's like a video game, you know, again, I, I hate to, <laughs> to like totally nerd out on you, but I mean, you know, um, you know, music is a lot like a video game because you, you, you know, you grow and you learn and you, you know, you're getting better at that scale. You're getting faster. You're, you know, you're writing something that's heavier that people are saying, man, that sounds really good. You know, whereas before they might have told you what you wrote was, ah, that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, now they're saying, damn, that's a really good song. You know, it's like, obviously you're getting more creative. You're mm-hmm. pushing things in a direction, um, you know, and, and of course I, I, I take people's advice and, and, uh, influence with a grain of salt because you know i i appreciate the the opinions of others and i appreciate um what they say to me but at the end of the day i always want to keep my writing very organic and if i think too much about adhering to a form that someone else wants me to be um it just ruins the whole process and it's like well what's what's the point you know yeah no i think that's a good um way to look at things because i think like for myself, and and I've tried to get thicker skin as I've grown up. Um, it's hard to do. Yeah, especially if it's like, because for me, it's like it's easier to take from friends. But then if my wife Kelly will say something, like sometimes it's like I have to really work hard. Oh Because yeah. she's so close to me. But um, mm-hmm. I also think it's good, like when you're developing as an artist, you kind of have to de- you have to strike a balance between accepting creative, uh, constructive criticism and changing a few things mm-hmm. to realizing that like, what one person might say needs mm-hmm. to needs to be changed but there's like no like i want that to be the way it is because that's how i see things right um well marty what do you have coming up or what are your plans for for music in the next little stretch here well, well you know um as he was saying you know about these songs that we have coming up that we're working on they're um they're really interesting and challenging to play mm-hmm. you know because since we're playing in a different kind of drop tuning, you know, it's... Drop A for those who care. In the beginning, you know, um, I just was kind of just mentally transposing one thing to another. And um, and now, though, I've come to sort of see the strings as playing different roles Word about in the songs, if you will. Years, right? You know, and, um, and even though it's uh, maybe seems like a minor thing, you know, that, oh, this is, you know, playing this key and something else, it's... Um, it keeps it really fresh and new to me that I'm constantly sort of coming across new combinations, new sort of sounds, new sort of chords, 
And I think that a lot of what um, the other songs that we have written too, I think that you being as fresh of a guitar as you are, let you come up with some pretty interesting and fresh ideas. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it's really exciting to be doing something that, that isn't kind of formulaic at all and seems to be, you know, always tackling new sort of uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have, I don't know, I forget how many songs we counted up, you know, that we're mm -hmm. ready to work together and put out. Yeah. You know, and then, um, so yeah, so I'm really excited about doing all that. Half a dozen, so. And, uh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and I've been, uh, you know, teaching one of my guitar students, uh, couple of video game songs and that was and that was a nice influence uh, for me too you know because it's sort of uh it's sort of a very distilled and shortened kind of classical music almost mm -hmm. you know it's uh, yeah yeah that's that's one of the things i've always loved about um video games or the music because there's certain like really iconic ones like super mario brothers and mm -hmm. but then there's ones too that um like might be more obscure things but they're meaningful to you because mm -hmm. you care a lot about them yeah well um before um, I start going into the outro, I wanted to thank you guys so much for doing this. Um, little, awesome. A little behind the scenes. So last night, this is actually my first, one of my first shows that I am recording in my, my home studio without the help of my um, wonderful producer, Mayplex Monk, that does the um, Hip Squared. And um, he's doing a, you know, he's, he's really helped us out um, as far as sounds and equipment. And he actually got what we're using now helped me set this up as far as equipment actually came in here last night and got everything exactly the way I wanted it, but couldn't recreate it. <laughs> when, uh, Andrew and Marty came in, so we were all sharing one microphone. Uh, but yeah, they were like just great spirits about it and great. Um, very, very understanding and, and cool about the whole thing. Um, yeah, we're used to sharing toothbrushes. So it's okay. <laughs> okay. <No details. laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. Just a but do you guys, do you guys have any, do y'all have any last words or anything else you'd still like to say? Oh, gosh. You know, just uh, stay tuned, you know, if you guys are interested. Uh, we're, we're not tired. We're not burnt out. You know, we lost our basis, but we're still going forward. We're still writing new music. Um, this is my passion. This is what I love. And, um, you know, this is what I want to do. And I'll fight any obstacle to, to succeed at it. And um, and so again, to the people that are interested in our music, stay tuned. You know, we're we are pushing forward. Cool. Well, thank you um, very much, yeah, and I, I really look forward to seeing what's coming up next with South Club Shaman and, and both of your musical um, careers and legacies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, thanks everybody so much for listening to Five O Talk Two. Um, we have another episode coming up with Romel with Two Wells. He's a local. Uh, hip-hop MC, really um, neat musician. His most recent one is a concerto number no. nine movement two, and we have a episode coming up um, talking about him with that and his life. Not sure which one of these two episodes is coming out first. And um, we also have episode one of Five I Talk To You. That's a pilot we did about a year ago. Uh, we talk about Greenberg Comics um, and my uh, friend Kavi Shakur, who's another um, local hip-hop MC and a music producer. Um, and yeah, if you guys want to check out more of American Fantastic, go to AmericanFantastic.com. That's where you can read all my writing. You can also see some cool photography and art, um, our other audio projects, um, like the American Fantastic Radio Hour I did with Art FM and um, the pop culture podcast I do with my little brother Troy called Hip Squared. Um, Mayplex Monks is, on the, is a producer on that as well. 
If you guys want to um, help American Fantastic, a good way to do that is like us on Facebook, um, share us with your friends. Uh, think people would like what we're doing, uh, just let them know about it. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon, American Fantastic. Uh, anything helps. Our membership start out as little as a dollar a month. Um, and we really appreciate anybody that uh, wants to put some change in the bucket. Um, yeah, and uh, thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned to see what um, else is coming up uh, for 5 Talk 2. Uh, thank you so much, and signing off without a good tagline, it's me, John Beecham. <laughs> thanks y'all for listening.